This is the Responsible Sports Podcast, presented by Liberty Mutual Insurance. In this episode, we welcome Jim Craig. Responsible Sports is a program dedicated to supporting youth sport coaches and parents who help our children succeed both on and off the field. Each episode, our host Jim Thompson, CEO of Positive Coaching Alliance, will be joined by professional coaches, Olympians, world-class athletes, general managers, and leading youth sports experts who share their insights from their own sports careers. In this podcast, Jim Thompson, founder and CEO of Positive Coaching Alliance, talks with USA Hockey Olympic gold medalist and member of the 1980 Miracle on Ice USA hockey team, Jim Craig. There was a couple of key things that I think Coach Brooks did. Is he got us getting comfortable being uncomfortable, and that was with the change. So embracing change uh, is a big part of that. And I think if you can do that, that that's really important. And then he provided us permission to fail because he always wanted us to try to be better, not comfortable at doing what we did well. Jim encourages youth athletes not to be afraid to practice something you are not good at and to be comfortable being uncomfortable. He also shares his personal insights as a member of the Miracle on Ice team. Jim, to many of our listeners, you don't need much introduction, but I want to provide some background for our responsible sports audience. Jim Craig is known as a goalkeeper for the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team that produced the Miracle on Ice, defeating a heavily favored team from the Soviet Union in the semifinals. Then that team went on to win the gold medal over Finland. Earlier, Jim led his Boston University team to the 1978 Collegiate Championship. Later, he played several seasons in the NHL and currently serves as a motivational speaker addressing business audiences on team building and other lessons from sports. Jim, thank you for joining the Responsible Sports audience and me today. My pleasure, Jim. So, Jim, um, you were part of an iconic moment for American society. I think very few people in the middle of the Cold War thought the Russian hockey team could be beaten, and if so, it might be the Finns or maybe the Canadians, but certainly not the U.S. team. How do you feel about being part of such an iconic moment? Well, I think that the part that's really special is it's a moment in history that's a very positive moment, and it made uh, a lot of people feel good about themselves. And so that's really nice to be part of something that is um, a positive moment. Uh, and so from that standpoint, it's great. You know, um, hockey observers didn't have very high expectations for the U.S. team in the 80 games. Um, what extent did that, those low expectations for you help in your preparation or motivation for the Olympics? I think what happened is we had a, a great coach who had a totally different vision. He wanted to change the way we played, the way we fought, and the way we trained. And um, I think the biggest thing that he did is he recruited the right people for that type of assignment and um, taught us how to win collectively versus individually. You know, you, you mentioned that um, he didn't pick necessarily the best players, but people who were winners. Could you say more about that? Well, when you pick a team, you have to pick people who are going to be happy in the roles that they're given. And so if you, have, you pick people who, uh, if it's basketball, always want the ball, if it's football, always want the ball, and, you know, it, there's so many other positions. So I think what 
was so important and what Herb did is all of us had won collectively uh, uh, an NCAA championship or practically everybody on the team. So uh, I think he, he knew he had picked people who had made the personal sacrifices necessary to win collectively as a team and, and then they would accept roles that might be different. You know, one of the things that Doc Rivers, uh, the Boston Celtics coach, says is that he wants people who are going to be superstars in their role. Um, and I think that, that says it all, because he's really good at getting great performances out of role players. Well, and yeah, if you pick, this, pick all the type of same people, then they don't, they don't have the same skill set. So you need to pick people with the different skill sets that have the proper, proper makeup to play the position that you're asking them to perform at. You know, looking back at the, that team that uh, Coach Brooks selected, um, you know, there are going to be people listening to, to us here today who are thinking about the team that they want to put together, either for, for a sports team or even a, uh, a business team. What characteristics should uh, leaders look for in building a team that, that could be successful? Well, I think the first thing you want to do is you, you want to pick people who are are used to winning and who have failed. I think a really big part of winning is the, the ability to learn from failure. And, um, and that's by people always trying to be better at something. So picking people who have learned from their failures and are constantly improving, I think, is a, a really uh, interesting way of picking. Uh, and I, I think the other thing is that you want to put people in positions that are best suited for their talents. And, and that's understanding the different roles. Uh, and and I, I think that's a very important part of recruiting the right type of person. Yeah, that's great. You know, Jim Collins, who wrote Good to Great, ta- uses the metaphor of the bus. If you want a great team, you got to get the right people on the bus, right people off the bus, and then the last part, the right people in the right seats in the bus. Um, it seems like uh, Coach Brooks did that with that team, and boy, it, did it pay off. Yeah, well, there was a couple of key things that I think Coach Brooks did. Is he got us getting comfortable being uncomfortable, and that was with the change. So embracing change uh, is a big part of that. And I think if you can do that, that that's really important. And then he provided us permission to fail because he always wanted us to try to be better, not comfortable at doing what we did well. I love that phrase, uh, getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, that's a great phrase. You know, the, the Disney movie Miracle shows um, uh, Coach Brooks making you all go through this grueling exercise while shouting over and over again, again, and making him something of a tough guy coach. But you know, I've read that your thoughts about Coach Brooks are, are quite different and more nuanced. You've talked about him almost as a psychologist who knew what each player on the team needed to reach his potential. Could you talk about that? Yeah, you know, you basically you have to avoid confusing busy with being productive. And, you know, Curb uh, had the ability to treat us all uh, the same collectively, but individually making sure that he cared about us and pulled greatness out of each of us in many different ways. You know, I, I always say there, you know, there's an old Cherokee saying that says there are two wolves inside of us. One is positive and beneficial. The other is negative and destructive. And these two wolves fight for control. And I always ask people, which wolf wins? And it's the one you feed. And so 
a great way of making sure that we, he was feeding the right wolf. Wow, that's lovely. You know, you, you, you talked about um, picking people who are used to winning but also learn from their failures. And um, as a goalkeeper, you know, I think there's, there's certain um, positions in sports, goalkeeper and uh, hockey or soccer, quarterback and football, pitcher and baseball, where you're the focal point. And fans may not notice mistakes by other players uh, in the flow of the game on the rink. But the goalie's mistakes end up in the net and literally stop the flow of the game. So you get this, you get this, sit there and think about it for a while. How did you cope with uh, with when you made a mistake and allowed a goal to recover? I always laughed. I always said, you know, when I make a mistake, a big red light goes on. Eighteen thousand people jump up in the air and they take my mistake and put it on the scoreboard. They tell who scored it, who helped them score it, and what time he scored it. So. Um, I, I, I think what I learned most is that, you know, in a position like that, people think as a goalie, all you need to do is stop a puck. And that's not true at all. Really, the goalie has to understand all the skill sets of his players in front of him so that he can utilize their strengths and minimize their weaknesses. And once I understood that, then it became much more of not an individual game that I played, but a collective and counting on people to do their job and help me do a better job myself. So once a goal goes in, that's over. You can reflect on it later on, but if you're, you're, if you're not concentrating, you'll let in another one. So it's, you have to have a, a, a very short memory for goals that are scored against you. Yeah, I like that phrase, short memory. Um... Did, did you have any particular way of, of keeping your focus on the play? I know when work, we work with um, a lot of high school and youth athletes, and, and uh, so many athletes have their attention hijacked by worrying about making a mistake, getting upset with something. Uh, did you have a way to, to uh, bring your focus back to the play? Yeah, what, what I did is I, I broke each period into five, four or five-minute periods. And when the play was not in my end, I relaxed. And when it got to certain areas, I really started to concentrate. And I realized it's really almost impossible to concentrate a full 60 minutes. But it's very important that you concentrate when it's time to concentrate. So I think people have to realize, at least at my position, on how and when you need to concentrate. And, you know, I have a saying that says, as long as I'm prepared, I expect to win. And, and, and that's what I did. I really prepared for each and every game. Can you talk a little bit about how you, how you prepare uh, when, you were, um, when you were getting ready for a game or even how you prepare when you, when you do your work now as a, as a speaker and consultant? Well, I think preparation is uh, having an interest, whether it's, a, you know, if I'm speaking for a company, I want to learn as much as I possibly can about the company, uh, the culture. What the, what the obstacles are, who their competition is. And it's very similar when you prepare. You know, I, I'll tell somebody who takes a shift when I was coaching, I'd say, okay, so who did you play against? What number did he or she wear? What way did they shoot? What did that person do better than you did? And as you get prepared, who are you going out against? You know, a lot of times people become passengers and they, you know, they just open a door, go out a door, open a door, and come in a door. And, you know, that, that you have to learn from each shift and each time you play. And so my preparation was to visualize the game before I played it, 
and to see myself making positive uh, saves versus negative goals. Yeah, wow, that's 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 um, that's great. Um, the you know one of the things we uh, we talk about it kind of like the the McDonald's effect. If uh, if you're in a McDonald's or some restaurant and and a kid comes in wearing a soccer uniform, or a baseball uniform, or a hockey uniform, uh, the first question they always ask is, "Did you win?" And um, you know we've tried to to move away from that. Like uh, you know, did you did you have fun or whatever? Well, I, I think to- the other part that it's really important is you know you can ask them questions that is is more important. Winning, I, I have a real high emphasis on winning, but it, it's, it, it, it's because you need to learn how to win, and you need to learn why you don't like to lose. And, you know, sports are a great vehicle for that. And, you know, what you questions that you can ask can be a lot different. Did you play? Who did you play against? Who was the best player that you played against on that team? What did you learn from this game that you're going to try to make part of your game? And and that's what I call preparation. Those are those are fantastic questions. Um, you know, the sports psychology today now they talk about outcome goals and process goals, and could the outcome goal is what gets you up in the morning. You know, I don't feel good today, but I got to work because I want to make the Olympic team. But then when you're in the competition, if you don't focus on the process goal, what am I supposed to be doing now? If you start thinking about the outcome goal, uh, then you're dead. Well, I think a lot of times people focus way too much on what they don't do well and not enough on what they do do well. And, uh, you know, passion is what's the most important part of anything. And I I think sometimes passion is the missing ingredient and the love of the game. And it's not as uh, mechanical as a lot of people are making it. and, you know, great athletes have the ability to visualize and see the sport so it appears much slower. And, you know, that's, you know, I call that hockey IQ. If you're dealing with hockey, it can be basketball IQ, it can be football IQ. And that's why if you look at so many of these um, uh, forums where they, they get the uh, athlete and they have them compete individually against a clock or a specific drill, you know, I, I, I resist that so much because it really, there's no passion there. There's no reading. There's no IQ used in that. And so it's just a, a, a measurement that people are comfortable with because people always want to have something that is quantitative. And so much of greatness in sports and athletics is intuitive and passionate. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you totally. Somebody once said... Um Everything that's measurable is not important, and everything's important isn't measurable. I want to talk a little bit about your um, your career before the Olympics because uh, you led your Boston University team to a, a, a collegiate championship, and you know for a lot of people that would be that would be their lifetime moment. Uh, but of course, then you went on to the Olympics, um, and I, I noticed that uh, Jack Parker, who was your coach there, just retired after I think forty years. Uh, could you say something about uh, your thoughts about Jack Parker? Yeah, Jack was, was an incredible competitor that studied and prepared us really well. So, you know, all during the week for a competition. And, you know, real good coaches pull greatness out of people. And other coaches that are really good uh, become their confidence. And I think Jack did a lot of good things that way. But 
like all good coaches, they're good people. They, you know, they really care about the individual. Because if you care about an individual, they'll do so much more than if you use an individual. You know, talking about your Boston University 78 team or the Olympic uh, team in 80, who were some of your favorite teammates uh, from either of those teams or other teams that you were on, and, and what made them great teammates? Well, when you're on a winner, it's really easy. You know, and I've been fortunate most of my life, of, you know, that I always played on winners. And um, so when you're playing with winning people, what they realize that the mission and task the task at hand is much more important than the individual. And so, you know, when I played at Boston University, Ricky Mahar was an incredible player. And he was, I was a, you know, a freshman when he was a senior, so I only get to, get to see him play one time. But, you know, you had O'Callaghan, you had Silk, you had uh, LeBlanc. I mean, you had, our team was great because it was a bunch of Canadians, a bunch of Americans coming together for a common goal. And on the Olympic team, you, had, you know, you had great players like Mark Johnson, and you had Kenny Morrill, and you had the, the, the pure love of playing, and the Davy Christians, and the Neil Broughtons, and then you had the really smart, dedicated players like Bill Baker, and, you know, so many great, great players that, uh, and, you know, it was just so fun to be with and learn from. You know, um, at Responsible Sports, uh, with, with uh, Positive Coaching Alliance and Liberty Mutual Insurance, uh, we focus a lot on the life lessons that come from sports. What life lessons would you say you took from your hockey experience? Well, life lessons was everything. How to show up on time, how to be committed, how to, you know, win with integrity, how to lose with respect, you know, how to hold people accountable how to be held accountable. But, you know, um, you know, when you talk about good sports and positive lessons and stuff like that, you know, accountability is not a negative thing. People can be held accountable in a very positive manner. It's just doing the right thing. What, what about, that's great, what about um, youth hockey players today? Any advice that if you could just send this out and put this in the head of every youth hockey player in the country. What, 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 what would you want to say to them? I, I would say that, you know, um, there's, being, there's a lot of personal sacrifice being made, and none of it is by them. It's the people that are putting them in positions and giving them the opportunity, to t and I, I would tell them to take advantage of that opportunity because a lot of people are making financial, time, commitments, all kinds of personal sacrifices. But more than anything, enjoy it and, and, and love the sport. And, and, and you know, I, I watch kids, and kids are afraid to fail today. They don't want to start anything that they're not good at, except when they grab an Xbox and they get a new game <laughs> and they're no good at it. But what they don't realize is they stay on that and they practice it and practice it and practice it. So in my day, those hours of practice and practice and practicing was outside with the sport. And now it's inside with a game. And so if they can generate that same desire to get better without worrying about other people seeing them fail, then I think they have a great chance of being successful. You know, with responsible sports and positive coach lines, we talk about a double goal coach. Uh, you know, two goals. The first goal is, is on a scoreboard trying to win. The second is the, 
to teach life lessons through, uh, through sports. And I think uh, a lot of lessons here today. I want to go back for just a second to the um, to the Olympics. Um, you know, th- th- it's it may be hard for people to remember, but this was in the the heat of the Cold War, um, and huge rivalry between the U.S. and the USSR, both you know militarily, politically, and then in sports, especially in hockey. Uh, you'd think it would be easy for tempers to boil over, but throughout that that game, it seemed like both teams honored the game and showed great sportsmanship. Um, what what do you think contributed to that? And was there any talk before the game of how to ensure good sportsmanship? No, I think what happens is, you know, I tell people one of the greatest experiences I had was walking into the Olympic ceremonies with the greatest athletes in the world because they gave me a chance to see where I fit and what I needed to work on to get to be at that level. And I think talent respects talent. And, you know, we were... We're vehicles, and we were playing something, you know, in the Soviet Union's case to have maybe the best life, in our case, to represent our country and hopefully go on and do this for a living. And so, um, you know, I've become great friends with Vladimir Lichenko, who was on that team, and he helped coach with me for over 10 years, and I've learned so much from them. And so I think you have to respect yourself and the sport and, and learn and appreciate talent. Uh, with the Sochi Olympics coming up in 2014, um, you know there could be another um, another great game between the USA and Russia. Any uh, any thoughts on the the coming Olympics? Well, I think what happens now you have the greatest athletes in the world playing against the greatest athletes. You know, professionals can play. The only desire, the only problem you have is you have to hope that they have the same desire as people who are so proud to represent their country and not be individuals worrying about sponsorship and being hurt. And, you know, and that's being part of something bigger than yourself. So if I think that happens and it comes truly that they are representing their countries, not themselves, just individually, then I think it'll be an incredible sight and really fun to watch. Yeah, it's, it's going to be great. Let, let me just, uh, Jim, this has been fantastic. I, uh, Really appreciate all the wisdom you you shared with uh, with me today, and all, and all the thousands of people who are going to hear this podcast. Um, let me let me end by talking about your current uh, your current business, your speaking engagements. You you uh, address issues of teamwork and business. What what's the gist of your message, especially in terms of how your sports experience applies to the business world? Well, I wrote my first business book, and it has nine strategies. And I've, I developed those strategies through being mentored by great coaches, um, uh, not only athletically but in the business world. And so I took those, and, and I built a foundation off those strategies that I hope that I can incorporate to whatever group decides to hire me. And through the research that we do and preparation that we do, we try to make sure that the, the focus of the talk or the sales training that we do really uh, solidifies either some of their weaknesses or some of their strengths. And so it's, it's, very, it's very enjoyable. Uh, you know, I always tell people no one's a finished product, and I, and I really find that every day that I am being mentored and, and I am mentoring, and I find it very rewarding. You know, Jim, you're, you're, you're too modest to mention the name of your book, so I will. Gold, gold Medal Strategies, Business Lessons from America's Miracle Team. 
Um, and I'm going to order that right now and, and look at it. Um, really just been a real pleasure talking with you today. Uh, any last words you'd like to give to uh, parents, coaches, athletes out there who are going to be listening to this? Yeah, I, I, you know, the first strategy in the book is called the shared dream. And you, you have to understand that if you're going to be successful in life, you just can't do it individually. It's really collective. And uh, if people can manage through ego and conflict, which I think are really great things, ego is swagger, conflict is change, I, I think uh, things well. But you, you are getting provided opportunities. And in life, you can't wait till you're ready to take advantage of them. You just have to seize the moment and take advantage of these opportunities. And whether you win or lose, it will be okay. And so to the youth out there today, don't, don't be afraid to practice at something you're not good at. And I, I tell people you have to make your weaknesses your strengths, and your strengths have to become even stronger. And I think that's the piece of advice I hope people take from here, to just enjoy the dreams that they have, supply it with passion, and go out and make it happen. Jim, thank you so much. Um... Uh, so many Americans admire you, and I'm in that group, and um, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. To learn more about responsible sports, visit responsiblesports.com. You'll find valuable responsible sport parenting and responsible coaching guides, downloadable tools and worksheets, and helpful advice from leading youth sports experts. Music for this podcast has been generously provided by APM Music.